Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. The Fed held interest rates at a 22-year high for a second straight meeting. In his news conference, Chair Jay Powell said financial conditions have tightened significantly in recent months, driven by higher longer-term bond yields, among some other factors. Powell also said previous rate hikes were putting downward pressure on economic activity and inflation, and the full effects of tightening had yet to be felt. Given how far we have come, along with the uncertainties and risks we face, the committee is proceeding carefully. We will make decisions about the extent of additional policy firming and how long policy will remain restrictive based on the totality of the incoming data, the evolving outlook, and the balance of risks. Powell also said tightening conditions could warrant further rate hikes, echoing remarks he made in New York last month. Uh, the FOMC will meet one more time this year on December 12th and 13th. And, and Doug, using the WERP function on the Bloomberg terminal, uh, a 19% chance of a rate hike of 25 basis points uh, on December 13th, and only 29% if you go to the Fed meeting at the end of January. And he did suggest that the notion of rate cuts right now not even being discussed by the Fed. We go next to the U.S. Treasury. The department is planning an increase in overall U.S. debt sales. However, the level of issuance overall is slightly below what most dealers on the street had expected. Total size of these sales, $112 billion. That's about $2 billion less than forecast. This is the so-called quarterly refunding auctions. They'll take place next week, and they will span three, 10- and 30-year Treasury maturities. Here's Bloomberg's Michael McKee. The quarterly increase uh, that we get is uh, basically concentrated at the uh, the short end, which makes sense since long end rates have gone up. The problem, of course, for the Treasury Department is that uh, people are criticizing them for not terming out earlier. They have to pay more. So uh, they are kind of locked in here at the higher rates rather than being able to take advantage of any uh, falling rates. And uh, they do say that uh, this may be the end of it in terms of raising uh, auction sizes. Uh, They may uh, raise auction sizes one more time, and that should be enough uh, in the first quarter of next year. That is Bloomberg's Michael McKeat. Now back to the Treasury. The department is saying future planned sales will depend on a variety of factors. They include the evolution of the fiscal outlook combined with the pace and duration at which the Fed continues to shrink its balance sheet. Brian? Well, to some earnings news now, Qualcomm, the largest seller of smartphone chips, gave an upbeat revenue forecast for the current quarter. The company saying that sales will be $9.1 to $9.9 billion. The midpoint of that range, $9.5 billion, was well ahead of the $9.25 billion that analysts had been estimating. Today's report offers a glimmer of hope that consumers are finally beginning to upgrade their phones again. We heard from Bloomberg's Kunjan Sobani. 
Coming into the quarter, you know, it was pretty clear that the smartphone market has bottomed. Customers have been drawing down inventory for a few quarters now. What was uncertain was the speed and the size of the expected market snapback. I mean, the results came in slightly above, but on a handset and a QTL side, they were kind of in line. Bloomberg's Kunjan Sobani. Many shoppers, especially in China, have been holding on to existing smartphone models for longer than in the past, and that has hurt demand for Qualcomm's chips. A rebound there would help to keep the company's main source of revenue afloat. Qualcomm shares were up 1.7% in the regular session, and then after the earnings report, added another 3.4% in late trading. Big news after the bell, Disney will acquire the 33% stake in Hulu held by Comcast. Now, this deal is worth about $8.61 billion, and it will help further Disney's objectives when it comes to streaming. Under the previous deal between Disney and Comcast, the total value of Hulu will be no less than $27.5 billion. So now, the beginning of negotiations in a process that could go on for months. The company said the final price will be settled through an appraisal process, and it's likely to involve up to three investment banks. Disney is expecting the deal to be completed sometime next year. Brian? Well, closing arguments occurred today in the trial of FTX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Bloomberg's Shanali Basak says that prosecutors used Bankman-Fried's own words against him in their final pitch to the jury. So what they are now saying is you saw him come in early uh, to his own defense, very clear worded, very clear headed. And a day later, you saw him walk into the prosecution, stumbling over many definitions, stumbling over many things that the prosecution put right in front of him, books, articles uh, as to what he had said. And then watching him either not remember right. or deny what has been written or said about him. Bloomberg, Shanali Basak. Bankman Freed admits to making big mistakes at at the helm of FTX, but he denies intentionally defrauding anyone. Now it's time for global news. Houthi rebels say they successfully launched drone attacks on Israel out of Yemen. Ed Baxter has that story and the rest of the news from the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, that's right, Brian. A statement say the attack came with a large number of bomb drones. They say they reached their target, vowed that they continue their attacks until the end of their offensive in Gaza. And escalation of this kind of activity is what the U.S. and its allies have been fearing. And that is why Secretary of State Antony Blinken, or at least one of the reasons he's on his way to Israel, Bloomberg's Jonathan Tamari says to try to prevent some kind of escalation. Hezbollah from Lebanon could become involved, that Iran could become involved, that other countries uh, might feel pressure to to come to the aid of, of Palestinians, uh, not just in a humanitarian way, but in, in a military way. And Bloomberg's Oliver Crook in Tel Aviv says, while both the U.S. and Israel reject a ceasefire, there may be another thing that can be done while Blinken is there. This idea of potential humanitarian pauses, the United States at least seems open to these. I mean, these would look probably something like we saw in the earlier stages of the war where the Israelis would agree to not bombard certain areas to allow aid and other things to get through. And that Blinken will explore that. The U.S. is saying today there is movement both into and out of Gaza for the first time. President Biden says evacuations of U.S. citizens and wounded have started leaving Gaza. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller says the process definitely is underway. We want to make sure we can get U.S. citizens and their family members out as safely as possible. In the past 24 hours, we have informed U.S. citizens and their family and family members with whom we are in contact 
that they will be assigned specific departure dates. And says humanitarian aid also is moving in. 59 trucks entered Gaza through the Rafah crossing yesterday, representing the highest number of trucks in a single day to enter Gaza since the humanitarian corridor began on October 21st and bringing the total number through yesterday to 217. Now, Blinken is there Friday. Meanwhile, aid for not only Israel, but Ukraine and the southern U.S. border, well, is in some state of abeyance today. Uh, Some Republicans in the U.S. Senate are lining up saying that the proposal that fellow Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson has lined up aid to Israel and has passed the House separating Ukraine will not pass the Senate. Senator Lindsey Graham says there will have to be a compromise. I like paying for things, but in emergencies, we normally don't. I could put, uh, Democrats could put a pay for that I would disagree with. So when it gets over here, we'll hopefully put a package together that includes Israel, Ukraine, and border security. Graham says emergencies are emergencies. And South Korea's spy agency says North Korea has sent more than one million rounds of artillery to Russia that it appears to be using in its bombardment of Ukraine. The agency says about 10 shipments of weapons from North Korea to Russia. Global News, 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rashad Salat, and our guest now is Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO and Chief Strategist at QI Research. To take a closer look at the Fed, Danielle, thanks very much, as usual, for being with us. The Fed Chief, Jay Powell, was pretty careful in his language today, uh, but he did suggest that the risk of not doing enough versus the risk of doing too much was nearly balanced. Does that give us an indication that the Fed is now done? As careful as he was, and boy, it felt like he was scripted the entire time. Some of his first answers he actually read. Um, as careful as he was, he was also equally adamant that this does not mean, even though historically speaking, we have never seen a Fed pause two meetings in a row and the next move not be a rate cut. He was painfully explicit in saying there's, there could be another rate hike on the table. Do not just play by history's script. But, but I mean, the playbook surely uh, is ultimately, Daniel, uh, that, uh, you know, the bond market is doing the job now. Uh, that This is something that was obvious that that, that would happen. Yes. And I think that, that the same could have been said when, when Reagan blew the deficit up or yeah. when, when when Trump spent even more money and, 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 and caused the deficit and the debt to grow at an even faster pace. Uh, Wall Street always wants a narrative to accompany its its crowded positioning. And, and I get that. Uh, and, and there's absolutely no doubt that a year ago we were talking about Powell being very resolute at the podium and saying, I don't see any evidence of a tightening campaign in financial conditions. As far as I'm concerned, we can keep going. He's certainly not saying that today. Today, he said that there's evidence that that something beyond monetary policy 
is 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 causing rates at the long end to rise and thereby yeah. manifesting in tighter credit and financial conditions. Well, you wouldn't expect the Fed here, with with the great volatility we've seen in Treasury yields, uh, to be definitive. Uh, I don't think uh, if they are data dependent, uh, you know, you have some time now before the December meeting. There's there's no. I don't think too many people expected him to flat out say today that that they were that they were done. No, um, no, he didn't. And in fact, when he was pointedly asked, uh, have you put recession back into your calculus? He said, absolutely not. Don't get that impression. Uh, and, and to your point, he said, we've got two inflation reports, two employment reports, you know, more more reads on what the economy is doing before we meet again on December uh, the 12th and 13th. A lot of data to, to, to get through before there's any determination about what the next move might or might not be. Daniel, what was the uh, part of his uh, Q&A that you found most instructive? I'm not, I'm not going to make something up out of thin air. I, I really didn't find much that was instructive. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's and honest. That thing, <laughs> and it, really, I mean, th- th- this is what I do. I'm the Fed whisperer. What I did find most intriguing, my biggest takeaway from today, was the addition of the word financial and credit conditions. They added the one word financial to, to the statement. And as, as a nine-year veteran of, of the Federal Reserve, I can tell you that adding a word to the statement that, by the way, Jay Powell made very much shorter than his predecessors, much tighter, which means that the bar is even set higher uh, to, uh, to to add a, a word to the statement. But substituting out, you know, solid for, for moderate, substituting, adding the word financial, to me at least, the statement said the most today, much less than Powell said at the podium. Speaking about honesty versus uh, maybe just a little bit of dishonesty, um, I know that they want to err on the side of of crushing inflation, uh, but every time he got asked a question about that had anything to do with possible cuts next year, uh, you know, he just dismisses it so directly that you wonder how honest that is that the committee is never even talking about what might happen next year, you know, under certain scenarios. I mean, we always talk about people at war having to figure out what comes next. Should we really believe they're not even talking at all? about the possibility of cuts next year? No, uh, no, I don't. And I mean, I'll, I'll use a polite word that that that's disingenuous for him to even say, of course, they're looking out over the horizon at the, at the potential effects of any numerous set of factors. Uh, and of course, they're talking about what could trigger a rate cut in 2024. The, the, the line he's trying to hold, though, is that of higher for longer. And as mm-hmm. long as you convince markets that that's going to be your stance and that you're not even talking about talking about or thinking about thinking about cutting rates, that they're going to be able to continue on, as they said, shrinking the Fed's balance sheet month after month after month after month and hoping to God that nobody realizes that that's its own form of incremental tightening. Incremental tightening, uh, etc. Was there any reference to the uh, effect of rates or the international environment as it, all, uh, as it is uh, in terms of how they're thinking? When, when he was talking about endogenous factors, that included what's happening in Israel with, with, with Hamas, that included Ukraine, that included also the potential for a government shutdown here in the United States. And because Powell is somewhat dismissive by by putting together all of these factors into a kind of kitchen sink effect of saying anything could affect the outcome, one really must wonder how how, how much credence he gives to what's going on outside the United yeah. States. Danielle, thanks so much for being with us. Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO and Chief Strategist for QI Research. 
This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.